0: Welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks, the podcast where we get down to the nitty-gritty of what actually happens during and after a cancer diagnosis. Hosted by me, Madison Pollack.
1: And me, Paige Gill. Today's guest is Dr. Toby Schmidt, an expert in the field of inflammation and immune health. She is a recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate in her field. She also offers advanced learning opportunities for health and wellness professionals and health-motivated individuals. We are
2: so excited to talk with her today.
0: Hello, Toby. Welcome to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: We're very excited to talk to you today. Um, So... We connected through a Health Coach Facebook group. You kindly replied to one of my questions, um, and then we connected, and that's very kind of you, so thank you. And, Toby, you are an expert in immune health and inflammation and have applied that to a cancer immunotherapy, so we have tons of questions. And I'd love if you could just explain a little bit more about like what that means and what you do.
2: Sure. So I actually started in science a couple of decades ago very interested in human health, but the way research approaches human health is through disease. And as I was working in biotechnology and then in academic laboratories, I came to realize that the immune system was sort of the one common denominator in all diseases. So I became very interested in immune health and particularly inflammation, you know, big buzzwords these days. And while I was doing research at Stanford University, um, I applied what I knew about modulating the immune system to cancer biology and cancer therapies. And now, now I teach. And the reason that I teach is because while there are some really incredible scientists out there making incredible progress in human health, there aren't very many scientists that are teaching the public about health. So that's what I do now pers- as a personal health advocate and advisor and educator. That's amazing.
1: And and can you touch upon a little bit more about um, how you got specifically into immunotherapy and uh, what exactly immunotherapy is? I know that this has mm-hmm. come up as a talk in uh, another episode that we've had in the past, but if you could give us more of the scientific background of the ins and outs of what
2: all it means, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's a big buzzword these days, right? Along with immunology, yes, or about immunotherapy. And you know, you know that they're important to human health when it becomes a buzzword, right? And <laughs> immunotherapy—the term has made it mainstream because there's been so many successes um, in the treatment of cancer, in particular. Although immunotherapies could be applied broadly. To things like infectious disease and autoimmunity. But some of the biggest breakthroughs recently have come in the area of cancer. So, going way back when I was an undergraduate, I took a part time job in a um, biotechnology lab because I went to a small liberal arts school and I wanted to get research experience. And as I started to learn, you know, they were doing all this research about human disease. And as I started to learn about it, you know, they were making these individual, you know, little tiny molecules trying to get them to do these big jobs. And I thought, you know, this, is, this, is, this can't be the future of health because there's no way this tiny little molecule can restore health like something like the immune system, right? Which is mm-hmm. this incredibly complex system that interfaces with every system in your body. I call it the inner healer. So even back then as an undergraduate, before I really had a complete appreciation of human health and disease, I knew like that can be the future. Like there has to be something more we can do. So that's what really got me into looking at how the immune system could be modulated externally by, you know, physicians to help restore health in patients. And that is what's known as immunotherapy. So creating either therapies that help nudge the immune system back into function or ones that redirect it, anything that sort of takes advantage of your inner healer and focuses it on a particular disease is really considered an immunotherapy. So it's sort of a big umbrella and cancer immunotherapies are ones specifically geared towards modulating the immune system to fight cancer. Mm.
0: Okay, I love yeah. inner healer. I love
2: that it's Yes, it. I do too. It is, um, I mean, it's just amazing system and that that's its sole job, right, is to protect you. Protect you from yourself, like cancer, and to protect you from things coming from the outside, like pathogens. Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah, do and I wanted to ask-, ask Oh, oh.
0: Sorry,
2: go ahead, Maddie, <laughs> you go first.
0: <laughs> no, I know you've done a ton of research too, and have you found anything that, like, what happens in the immune system when cancer begins? Like, I know we all have cancer cells in our bodies, but what, like, happens in the immune system to make that cancer, those cancer cells grow and multiply?
2: Yeah, you're right. So there are, the immune system has certain immune cells whose job it is is to go around the body and to check, make sure everything's okay. So it goes around and actually interacts with all the the cells of the body sort of checking them to make sure they're okay and normal, right? When they're not normal, right? Then those same cells are charged with killing that cell and getting rid of it.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So one of the hallmarks of cancer in order for those cells that are, we would consider them sort of precancerous at that stage where they can be recognized and killed by the immune cells for them to go from precancer to cancer, Mm-hmm. means that they have to gain some sort of change in them we we'll call a mutation mm-hmm. that allows them to mm-hmm. trick the immune system mm-hmm. so in other words they they gain the ability to be to be sort of cloaked, right, so that they can't be recognized by the immune system. Exactly, exactly. They're like, nope, I'm a normal cell, right, (laughs) when they're not a normal cell, right? Right. Or they have the ability to actually change the immune system in the environment, and what they do is they actually recruit an immune cell that would normally attack them, and then they send them a signal to, to essentially tell them everything is fine. Mm-hmm. And then those cells tell the rest of the immune system, ah, eh, we're good here. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And that's how the cancer cells don't get killed and then they continue mm-hmm. to grow into masses and then can metastasize. Right. Okay. Gotcha.
1: And yeah, you know, that's it's scary how the body works sometimes and that there are things in there that cover themselves up or like we're saying camouflage themselves so they aren't seen. And exactly. Uh, my question uh, was, do you see um, immunotherapy in the future being used for all cancers or where do you think we are in the stage of it working right now for a few cancers and where we think it'll go?
2: Yeah. So I think, I think particularly the the immunotherapies that are coming out now that are actually using immune cells. Mm-hmm. So they're taking, at the moment, they take blood from a patient, they do some sort of magic in the laboratory to isolate out and to sort of re-educate the cells that are capable of killing cancer cells. And then they reintroduce them back to the patient. Um, This is known as the CAR-T therapy, or CART therapy, which made, you know, kind of into mainstream media. It's had great success. And the hope is with these types of immune cell therapies is that they will be sort of universal therapies. So they are really successful right now in what are called liquid cancers. So these are cancers of the blood, not solid tumors. There's been some challenges getting those CAR T's to work in a solid tumor, but they're making headway in that area too. And the great thing about the immune system and what makes, this type of immunotherapy universal is that these cells are capable of recognizing any type of cancer from the body right. and carrying out that killing. Okay. It's just that they need to be engineered so that they can overcome whatever trick the cancer cell mm-hmm. is throwing out that makes them not normally capable of recognizing them. But unlike, you know, specific molecules that are used, like chemotherapies, right. Right, they kind of generally target cancer mechanisms that aren't too different than normal cells, which is why mm-hmm. you get terrible side effects with, with both radiation therapy and chemotherapies. Mm-hmm. This would be very specific. Mm-hmm. And the, the cells can be engineered for any type of cancer. So that's where research is headed and that's why, you know, that's why there's so much buzz about the cancer immunotherapy yeah. because they have such tremendous potential.
0: Right. Yeah. Because yeah. we have talked to quite a few people that have done mm-hmm. immunotherapy after chemo or just radiation and immunotherapy.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, right, some immu- immunotherapies are still sort of, sort of drug-like and aren't the immune cell type. Mm-hmm. And, and those have been really successful. Um, you'll see drugs, you know, they have the MAB at the bottom, at the back of the, of the word. So if you <laughs> these are, these are, um, antibody drugs. So the immune system makes these antibodies and they are targeting pathways to sort of help restore immune function or to block those signals that the cancer is sending out telling the immune system everything's okay. And those are pretty successful, but. I'm really excited about the immune cells because they're smarter, yeah. right? right? They're more complex, they can change. Um, and so they're going to be, that's where I think the, the universal potential comes. Right there. Yeah.
1: And in your own words, what would you say is the biggest difference between chemotherapy and immunotherapy if you were just to tell someone the difference in layman's terms, I guess, or the easiest way for someone to understand?
2: yeah chemotherapy is sort of a, a generic way of targeting cells in general,
3: mm-hmm.
2: where immunotherapies is targeting specifically the pathway that is disrupted between the immune system and the cancer. So for example, with immunotherapy, right, the the cancer cells might put something on the surface of their cell to make them look normal. And right. in immunotherapy, you know uh, um, an antibody could block that so that it, it now they don't look normal, right? Right. right? Where with chemotherapy, it usually targets something like, we all know that cancer cells grow quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it might target something just like normal cellular growth. So you're you're hoping, right, through chemotherapy, that because cancer cells divide more rapidly than other cells in the mm-hmm. body, that chemotherapy will target those cells. But again, there are fast dividing cells that are normal, like stem cells in the body. So it affects them right. as well.
3: Right.
2: So you kind of have a generic response versus a very specific tailored specific. response. Yeah,
3: yeah. Okay. And
2: then I would say when you go into the immunotherapies that include immune cells, you get a specific response that has a kind of intelligence. That, yeah. yeah that's, that's,
1: that you put it so well. I, yeah, that helps to understand a lot better generic mm-hmm. versus specific. I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I have lots of questions around inflammation because I know you're an expert in that area too. Oh, um, like
3: <laughs> yes,
0: inflammation.
3: <laughs> so,
0: like, how does inflammation occur in the body? I know there's so many different ways, right. but like chronic inflammation, and is cancer a part of that? Is cancer a you know by inflammation in a way?
2: Yeah. So. If you Google inflammation, you're going to get back a definition for acute inflammation, which is something you would experience like, you know, if you cut yourself or broke your ankle or, you know, if you get an infection, those are all acute inflammatory responses. And really, Mm -hmm. it's just sort of um, inflammation is just the immune system's response to some sort of threat. But when we talk about chronic inflammation or low-grade chronic inflammation, these Mm -hmm. are these types of inflammations are ones that aren't in response to, you know, cuts or trauma or something or infection. These are ones that come oftentimes as a result of lifestyle choices.
3: Mm.
2: And this is why I focus on this so much, right? Because we we are, we are essentially interfering through the choices we make in our lifestyle with our immune system's ability to heal.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the, what's causing the interference is actually the inflammation. So some inflammation, right, as we age, mm-hmm. we generally become more inflammatory. Right. And there's different reasons for that. But in terms of health and lifestyle choices, mm-hmm. there, are, there are many things that we do, right? Certain foods, sedentary habits that increase the, the low-grade chronic inflammation. And low-grade means that there's no symptoms of it. And this is probably the most dangerous chronic inflammation, right? Because you mm-hmm. don't know you have it. And this is the one you, know, you most often hear about associated with cardiovascular disease, like heart attack and stroke and atherosclerosis. Mm-hmm. But it also, going back to your question about cancer, right? It also increases the risk of other diseases like autoimmunity and cancer. It lowers your ability to, or your immune system's ability to respond to pathogens. Viruses, bacteria, etc. And so, like you said, there's lots of things that 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 promote inflammation, right? Some that are within our control, and some that aren't. Mm -hmm.
1: And what would you say are some of the biggest triggers in terms of lifestyle choices that we can
2: do to help ourselves? So, so number one, and this might be surprising, but number one, you 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 think I'm going to say nutrition? But I'm actually going to say sleep. (laughs) I'm going to say sleep. (laughs) And the reason for this, um, it's so important. I used to teach sleep, nutrition, exercise, and sort of life quality, which is sort of stress management, Mm -hmm. as being the four legs of a table, where the tabletop is your health. So those four pillars support your health. But more and more research has come out about sleep. Mm-hmm. And now I realize you really, no matter what you do with the other three areas, if you aren't getting quality sleep, right. you you can't overcome that by mm-hmm. eating better, exercising or managing your stress. Mm-hmm.
3: Right.
2: So, yeah. and the reason for that is because the immune system depends on quality uninterrupted sleep in order to function normally. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get that, what do mm-hmm. you get? Low-grade chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. So your immune system is active during the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. So yeah. So so the the sleep recommendation is somewhere seven eight hours. Although if you are struggling, you know, if you have an infection, if you have some other health issue, you may require more mm-hmm. than that. Um, right. You may also require like naps in the afternoon.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the immune system interacts with the nervous system, and it helps the nervous system. Make you feel sleepy. Mm. Mm. Okay, and it does that because while it's active during the day and it can fight off infection and it can find cancer cells, it's even more active at night.
3: Oh wow. Okay.
2: So as if you track inflammatory markers, go as you head into bedtime, they actually increase, and they increase overnight until you start to come into like the early morning hours, and then they start to decrease again during the day.
0: Is that why
2: colds no. are always worse at night? It's, yes. It's part of the reason. And wow. it's also why when you get a cold, you feel miserable and you just want to sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because the immune system yeah. is actually telling telling the nervous system, look, I need you to go to sleep so I can I can get this right. job done.
3: Right.
2: That's why you should never, when you're sick, if you have a chronic health issue, if you have an autoimmune disease, if you're fighting cancer, you should never, if you're tired, you should never fight against that. It's your body's way. It's your immune system's way of communicating with the nervous system that, hey, I need downtime because I need to get this job done. Right.
0: Yeah, that's a very what, good what message. <laughs> for sure.
1: Yeah. Toby, what what you're saying really reminds me of, um, I wish I had known more about this one. I, I had nightmares. I struggled with really severe nightmares for a few months uh, about a year ago following treatment and I just noticed I turned into like a different person and I would like number one I turned into a different person just personality wise and irritability wise like every everything changed like I didn't know who I was anymore and second of all yeah I was just catching stuff a lot faster like colds and other Mm -hmm. um, illnesses so it's 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 crazy how much it comes into play
2: it does. It, it definitely affects the immune system. And, and when you don't get quality uninterrupted sleep, it also interferes with your other system.
1: Do you do you think it also has um, an effect on anxiety and stress? Because recently, I, I've been having sleeping troubles again. And I've noticed that when that happens, I start getting more nauseous. And my anxiety goes up in my whole system just feels like it's it's out of whack but mainly i, I have a problem with nausea that comes up quite frequently and um, the first question my nutritionist always asks me is how's your sleep and i'm like actually it was off perfect <laughs> yeah
2: it absolutely does you may have heard of um, our second brain which is the enteric nervous system so we actually have more neurons in our gut than we have in our brain so there's a tremendous amount of communication between the what's going on on our GI tract, <laughs> right? And vice versa, what's going on with our brain and, you know, the communication goes both ways. Right. And, you know, some estimates say like 70% of our immune cells reside in our gut, right? Yeah. So oh, wow. we have we a have a tritabacter here, right? Because we have the nervous system, which has this huge presence in our digestive tract. We have immune cells, which has a huge presence in our digestive tract, and we have the gut microbiota. So all of these microbes, bacteria, and even viruses and fungi that live in our gut. And there's a very, very intimate relationship between particularly the gut bacteria and those immune cells that live in the gut, and then both communicate with the nervous system. And so, of course, those immune cells are affected by the lack of sleep. And that changes both our gut microbiota and the interactions with the nervous system. So it's not surprising, right, that if you are having trouble sleeping that you have gastrointestinal issues. Wow, yeah. very interesting.
0: Oh. I have, okay, so in Austin, I've been in Austin and I'm moving back home. But in Austin, I there's this train that goes by every single night at 3 a.m. And I wake oh, no. up every single night at 3 a.m. And I have been, like I said, right before we started this, I've had like mental breakdowns this week, just like stress and overwhelm. And I feel like it's because I'm not sleeping. I, I can't sleep here. It's so crazy. And I like, I kind of know it, but I haven't really connected it. And I feel like you just saying that has like-
2: Put it together. Not- and see, I think that's why it's, you know, it's the number one thing, right? That we should be telling people yeah. Because it's usually the last thing that gets talked about, right? Usually the first thing we talk yeah. about is nutrition, then we talk about exercise, and then we kinda yeah. go, Oh yeah, and you should manage your stress and you should sleep well. That right? is so true. Yep. Yeah.
3: yeah. But That's
2: we, we sort of need to lead with sleep because if you yeah. don't have that sleep, then you're it you know, it's really hard for your body to take advantage of, you know, proper nutrition and exercise. Mm. Um, And it's really hard to manage your stress, as both of you have just pointed out, right? It's really hard to manage your stress if you aren't sleeping well.
0: That's so true. And do you have any, like, top tips for how to get better sleep? Because if I... Oh, I I,
1: love that. I was wondering that, too. Sometimes I (laughs) I have
0: anxiety about going to sleep. If I know I haven't been sleeping well, I'm, like, anxious about going to sleep, and then I just sit Mm -hmm. on my phone for an hour.
2: Yeah. I mean we're all guilty of that, right? Downtime at night and get on the phone, right? Yeah. But yeah, so there's some bad things about the phone, right, which is blue light. So you can put filters on the phone, blue light. But then it's also sort of uh sort of the mental aspect of, of engaging yourself in, in something other than then peacefulness that you should be doing to get to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, there's lots of tips. I mean, it depends. You know what what's going on. So, is it getting to sleep? Is it staying to sleep? That sort of thing. But you know, a, you know, it's kind of the standard, right? Uh, a dark room without light, quiet, kind of on the cooler side, right? If it's warm, it's difficult. Your body actually has to cool down in order for it to get to sleep. Oh, so there was, yeah, it's interesting, but there was a, there was a study that came out about a year ago that said, okay, well, if you, if you take a, a 30 minute hot bath and then go to bed, you'll get better sleep. And I had to think about that because I thought, well, yeah. wait a minute, cause you need to cool down. So what happens is when you take the hot bath, it causes your blood vessels to open up, right? Kind of like exercise a little bit, right? Everything kind of gets uh-huh. warm. So your body is set for cooling off. Uh-huh. So after so you get out work. of the bath. It max, yeah, exactly. It maximizes your cooling off, which okay. helps facilitate I'm sleep.
1: I'm glad you said it does work because that is one of the techniques that I do. I take um, a bath with the Epsom salt, mm-hmm. bath salt, and mm-hmm. that's what I to do every night to de-stress so I'm, I'm glad you said it wasn't doing the opposite where I was worsening my whole
2: condition. yeah exactly right because you, you would think it's kind of counterintuitive but right. what it's doing is is, is it's sort of opening up the pathways in your body that that facilitate cooling therefore okay. it's helping to promote sleep right. yeah and in terms of like like you know the whole the whole strategy of like you know Rehashing the day over and over again, and lying yeah. in bed, right? That's really going to disrupt your sleep. And there is cognitive-based therapy that's mm-hmm. specific for sleep. And it's been tremendously successful. Yeah. And so that's probably like, you know, we all go through periods that are stressful and, you mm-hmm. know, our sleep is disrupted and then we get back to normal. But if you're experiencing insomnia over and over again, like it's, it becomes a problem over time that CBT is probably one of the best things you can do. The problem with taking like drugs, sleep aids,
3: yeah.
2: is that it just, it, it's fine short term, like as kind of a Band-Aid fix. But mm-hmm. if you try to use them for a longer period of time, what happens is it disrupts the pattern of brain waves. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get the quality of sleep. Even though you're asleep, you don't get the quality of sleep. Your brain doesn't get the quality of sleep that it needs. So it can be a band-aid for short term, but not long term. So doing something like right. the cognitive based therapy, right, is is better, right, for long term um, and can help you come over like the anxiety of going to bed and and, and staying asleep and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I mm-hmm. think too, I mean yeah, I think that has to do a lot with like a lot of different medicines, that they're just like the band aid and in
1: order exactly. Help. Yep. Yeah. And even melatonin, I know that a lot of people
2: swear by
0: that. Do you feel about
2: yeah, what are your thoughts yeah. on melatonin? So, melatonin is the hormone released by the pineal gland in the brain. And it's the hormone that that says, "Okay, it's time to go to sleep." But it just tells tells the body, "Okay, it's time to go to sleep." But that's all it does, <laughs> right? Okay. So, it doesn't right. so it depends on it depends on why you aren't sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. So if your, if your time zone's a little off, maybe mm-hmm. melatonin can help because maybe, maybe the body does need to be told, okay, it's time to go to bed. And oh, okay. to sleep. Okay. So it, it might help a little bit there, but in terms of like, if you have insomnia, that's unlikely to help because it's not that your body doesn't, yeah. isn't getting the melatonin cue, It's right. just that it, it's you know, it's, it's after that.
1: Yeah. It's like ignoring whatever. That yeah, is.
2: exactly. It's ignoring the melatonin. Yeah. signal. Right?
1: <laughs> Because right. <laughs> I've noticed that where melatonin personally does not help me, and it's because exactly. I, yeah, when I go to bed, my mind is racing, and I'm thinking about mm-hmm. all I have to do tomorrow or my to do list or things I need to remember that I could be doing right now just to quickly get done. So yeah, it it just is no no use. I guess in those situations, this makes sense now. Why? Yeah.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. The, co- the cognitive behavioral therapy or the cognitive-based therapy, that's the that's kind of a, the gold standard for that. If melatonin doesn't work, right, that's kind of the next step. <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. That
0: makes sense. Okay. So sleep was the first part mm-hmm. of reducing inflammation. What would you say?
1: Oh, yeah. I forgot. We were still talking about reducing inflammation. <laughs> you can tell me all about sleep. Continue,
2: please. Can I have a free <laughs> session with you? A <laughs> <exit>? <laughs> yeah. So once you manage your sleep right, then that's when you know we're talking nutrition, exercise, yeah. and of course right. stress. And I would say, you know, it, it, I mean, it kind of it depends on you know the individual,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but you know, certainly, certainly it's going to be a toss-up, right, with nutrition, yeah, and mm-hmm. exercise. So the thing about nutrition what's so important about it is we talked a bit about this a minute ago which is that gut bacteria that we have Mm -hmm. because when we eat right we're not just feeding ourselves we're feeding this huge population of bacteria that live in our our intestines particularly the large Mm -hmm. intestines and when they eat they produce like chemicals which we call metabolites that then carry over the border of our intestinal lining. And those chemicals influence the immune system locally and those chemicals can enter the bloodstream and affect immune cells, other places and other organs like the brain by entering into the bloodstream. And so what chemicals they make depends on what we eat. Mm. So when we eat, plant-based foods, right? We get fiber. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And we can't digest fiber, but they can. Mm -hmm. And those bacteria that tend to be fiber eaters (laughs) produce chemicals that are anti-inflammatory.
1: Okay.
2: So they help calm and and sort of balance Mm -hmm. the immune cells. Remember, we sort of, we co-evolved with these bacteria. It's not something that came later, right? So so they have an interaction that they, with the immune system for as long as humans and our ancestors have been around,
3: mm-hmm. right? right? So they
2: know how to communicate with each other. They know how to manage each other. If you eat, you know, certain foods, mm-hmm. then the chemicals that they eat or the chemicals that they make from eating that food, what's left in it, becomes pro-inflammatory.
1: Mm-hmm. So what diet would you what diet do you tend to see helps more with more anti-inflammatory? Is it more plant-based or what do you recommend?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no question, regardless of what, you know, what camp you're in, what, you know, what your favorite diet is, we have to get fiber, mm-hmm. right? And fiber only comes from plants. Okay. So it's, it's critical, whatever, whatever diet you adopt, That there is an abundance of plant-based, particularly, you know, whole and fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, and you can adjust. You can go more vegetable, less fruit, You know, but the key is that you really need that fiber. They need that fiber.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. In addition, right, one of the the other aspects, one of the advantages of plant-based foods is that plants are rich with these phytochemicals. They are masters at chemistry. I mean, they do chemical reactions that we still can't do in laboratories. We can send people into outer space, but we can't do the chemistry that plants do. <laughs> right? So, you know, you got to respect them for that. And those phytochemicals, right, We've we've always been plant eaters <laughs> to some degree. Because, hey, let's face it, plants don't run. They're easier to catch than animals, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: true. They stand
2: still. So, exactly. So, you know, we've always eaten plants. We've always had these bacteria and our immune system has evolved with both of those. And these phytochemicals, many of them are antioxidants. And there's, and there's hundreds of thousands of them, of which we know pretty much nothing about. And the ones that we've taken, like resveratrol from red grapes, you know, curcumin from turmeric.
3: Mm-hmm. They have these
2: great properties, but we, you know, which is science. I'm guilty of this, right? We isolate everything out <laughs> into its desert, right. you know? We don't take it as a whole, right? We don't do the holistic thing very well. Yeah. So, so then we're surprised when we do these clinical studies, it didn't work, right? Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: so... <laughs> Eating the whole plant, getting the whole Mm -hmm. thing,
3: right? Yeah.
2: And incorporating that into whatever your favorite diet is. That's the important thing because you're getting both these Mm -hmm. phytochemicals, some that we know about that have health benefits and many that we don't. And if you eat a variety, right, of Mm -hmm. of different plant foods, then you're getting a variety of these different phytochemicals. You sort of help prevent, you know, many adverse effects that you might get from eating the same thing all the time. Yeah. and provide diversity not only to your body, but also to the gut bacteria as well. Yeah. Okay. And, and then some... scientific explanations. Sorry, go ahead.
0: I'm just go saying, ahead. I love the scientific explanations. But... Oh <laughs> yeah, I
1: know, I know. I do too, I do. I'm right. like, I need to keep up page. This is what this, like my mind is going like two times lower I feel, but I'm like, I need to play catch up. But I was, I was so interested also to hear exercise because Mm -hmm. right now I know that I'm not getting enough of that, but I'd like to hear just from a scientific standpoint how that helps the brain and the stomach and and the body overall.
2: Yeah. So with the immune system, right? Coming back to inflammation and immune system. Mm -hmm. So probably the single biggest factor, like if if you're starting ground level here, the single thing that you could do to have the most profound effect on inflammation after sleep, <laughs> right, is to exercise. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is when we exercise, it's kind of like sleep. We actually increase our inflammation. So we actually see a spike. If you look at the inflammatory markers, you see a spike in inflammation. Okay. But then pretty quickly, it swings back the other way. Mm. And you have a tremendous anti-inflammatory response. Okay. So it's almost as if the immune system relies on regular exercise mm. to, help, to help balance it back okay. from an inflammatory state to mm-hmm. a sort of relaxed, balanced state. Okay.
1: that's yeah. very
2: interesting. So, it's, it's, so what happens if you don't do the exercise, if you don't sleep well? Mm-hmm. So with sleeping, right, it's depending, the immune system is depending on that downtime. To take care of its work and resolve the inflammation of doing that work, and if you disrupt or don't get enough sleep, then it's not done, so it carries that inflammation into the day. Mm-hmm. Same thing with exercise. If you're sedentary, now you don't get that balancing effect, and you maintain inflammation. So
1: yeah, I and with exercise,
2: have... right? It takes it takes both. It takes some strength training and it takes some like cardio. Okay, so, so. getting your heart rate up.
3: Yeah, okay. you get maximum
2: yeah. benefit. Let's put it that way. You get maximum yeah. benefit for your immune system and your body, right? If you do both, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that because I was just, I was just gonna say that I've been seeing a lot lately. I don't know like why this is a trend all of a sudden, but that high intensive cardio isn't good
3: mm-hmm.
0: for the body. Is that true, or like is it more? Of- um,
2: yeah, it's it, it depends on how it's done. <laughs> Okay. So it can be it can be tremendously beneficial because you can get um, great anti-inflammatory effects from those oh. high intensity bouts, but but there's also potential for sort of going too hard too much,
3: right.
2: and creating inflammation that doesn't resolve mm. because okay. of too much damage or you know it, again it's it's a very individual thing.
0: Yeah.
2: So everything has to be done for the individual where that person's at. Yeah. For example, like with exercise, if you're struggling with cancer or autoimmunity, right, where your body's already taxed, you have to you have to really ratchet back on the exercise. You still need to get it. And, you know, study after study shows, you know, if you're going through cancer treatment, you know, exercise is a huge benefit. But you're probably gonna have to sort of, you know, tone, tone it, down it down a little bit
1: yeah
2: for exactly. sure exactly
0: yep yeah yeah during treatment i did a lot of i didn't do any cardio but i did a lot of bar and immediately mm-hmm. after i finished um a workout class my nausea would go away
3: mm-hmm.
0: and then i would like feel immediately better but i couldn't do the cardio like within the class or anything like that so i was like Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. get out of breath really quickly but for mm-hmm. sure i agree with that i think it's so if you can i think it's so beneficial
2: yeah you saw that yeah right? a lot of a lot of patients, a lot of um, people, students that I speak with who have autoimmune disease, like they're like, oh, I, you know, I always get a flare up when, you know, I do like high intensity or something like that. Like, yeah. you know, try something, you know, try yoga, <laughs> you know, Correct. or yeah. find something that's less intensive, but yet, you know, is moving your body. Um, yeah. Walking, really, walking fabulous. So yeah. I used to compete in triathlon. And yeah. I would do – I had a crazy schedule where I'd have, like, 11 workouts a week, and I would still walk every day. Wow. So, you know, it's just – I. even if you're doing other stuff, I mean, walking as much as you can. I mean, just think about it. You know, we're just – we're really designed to walk. You know, we've yeah. really evolved to walk. And so even if you're doing other stuff, getting out walking, um, it's it's just a tremendous benefit to the body. Yeah.
1: That's what I was actually going to ask is even – You hit it right on the head. Um, I was going to ask, is walking like a good enough exercise by itself to do like even for an hour a day or or something? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's tremendous benefits of walking. And, and, you know, for a lot of people, you know, that can be the best thing. And it's so easy to modulate it. Right. So you can you can make it a little more intense by walking faster or walking up a hill. Right. Or you can slow down so it's really you know and it's such a low risk for most people
3: mm-hmm.
2: so even if they have other health concerns or right. you know they're overweight you know walking is just a great thing
3: yeah
2: and everybody can do it cuz you know <laughs> you can walk around
3: yeah, you can exactly. walk around your house
2: or your apartment you know <laughs> or you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah it doesn't require anything special you know swimming's great but you know not everybody can yeah. get to a pool and Cycling, same sort of sort of thing. Not everybody has a bike, and not everybody has a place to cycle. You know, so walking really—you exactly. you can really get a lot from walking. And like I said, even even doing triathlon training, I still made it a point to walk every day. Wow, amazing!
1: Yeah. I'm um, starting that tomorrow. That is my goal walk <laughs> every day. Yeah,
0: That's do it, Paige. I think okay. during quarantine too. I think walking. Has yes. Been tough.
1: Such a, thing. a huge, yeah. Yes. Right. Right. That's so true. So many people have picked yeah. it up during quarantine. Family walks, yeah. like yeah. dog walks. I mean, everyone. Yeah. yeah I feel like it's become a,
2: a trend of quarantine for sure. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I've, I've never seen so many people walking their dogs. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah,
0: it's actually a good, that's one advantage of quarantine.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: The, nice. the one plus.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask too, like during COVID, Toby, have you seen any interesting trends like in you know your world or anything like that in terms of like people's health, both mental and physical?
1: Yeah,
2: that's a good one. Yeah, so um there's so much about COVID. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean, know. Where do you, even start? Where, do you even where do you start? start? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's a huge immune component to it, right? Because who who defends the body from viruses, the immune system. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot here, right? So if you are struggling, your body's struggling with chronic inflammation, whether it's low grade and you're not really aware of it, or it's chronic inflammation because you you know you're aging or because you have some other health issue going on these things really undermine the immune system's ability to fight off infection. Right. And with something that is as wicked, right, as the mm-hmm. SARS-CoV-2 virus, it really takes a an immune system whose sole focus is is on that infection. Mm-hmm. That's why we see with individuals that are that have certain diseases like cardiovascular disease already, um, individuals that are obese, right? Sort of, unfortunately, obesity is sort of synonymous with chronic inflammation because body fat, particularly the body fat that we find inside the abdominal cavity called the visceral fat, it takes on a metabolic role and it actually produces its own inflammation. So it mm-hmm. creates molecules that cause the immune system to become more pro-inflammatory. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you don't have to be obese to have that happen. You can be of normal weight and have mm-hmm. more of this this visceral fat right. and get the same effect. You might have heard this as the skinny fat. I was just gonna say that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But but so so most people that are obese have more visceral fat. So again, it's sort of like obesity is synonymous with chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. So again, right, with COVID-19, we see the severity of the disease in people that are overweight or they have other diseases associated with inflammation. We see mm-hmm. that disease is really harder for them, harder for their immune system to fight mm-hmm. yeah. off. Okay. Yeah. So for individuals that don't have a, the low grade or chronic inflammation, their immune systems are otherwise healthy, they mm-hmm. were seeing less severity. Not that they aren't affected, but there's less severity. Right. So that that's part, right, a part of the problem with yeah. the yeah. the range in COVID symptoms. Right. Okay. Oh, that that makes sense.
0: Yeah, because yeah. it has been so crazy to hear like some people are seemingly healthy yes. and they get mm-hmm. so sick and then I know, like a bunch of friends that got in had barely any symptoms.
2: Yeah,
0: that
2: is wild. How spread out? Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a the virus uses a molecule to get into cells. So viruses aren't living; they're like bacteria. So Mm -hmm. the only way they create disease is by getting inside our cells, and then it essentially it takes over the machinery in the cell. And it gets replicated. Mm. So it uses a molecule on the surface of the cell to attach to and get in. That's found in the okay. respiratory tract, but it's also found within the blood vessels, mm. and it's also found, you know, in other tissues. So that's why we see okay. the virus may get entry through nose and mouth into the right. respiratory tract. But then we see these other symptoms of gastrointestinal, right? Because that that same molecule is on the surface of those cells. And then we see um, stroke-like symptoms in some patients okay. and sort of cardiovascular collapse in others. So that's why, because it goes from the respiratory tract and it spreads around the body, anywhere it can find this molecule and it gets into those cells and wreaks havoc.
1: Okay, so it just hits so differently for different exactly. people
2: depending on where it hits, depending exactly. on what patches on. So, so imagine like if you, if your immune system's like you're, you're doing all the things we talked about, right? You're sleeping well, yeah. you're eating uh. well, gut microbiome's good and you're exercising, right? Your immune right. system's just like, yeah, bring it on, right? <laughs> I got right. you. <laughs> uh. So it keeps it, right? It helps isolate it just to the respiratory tract, right? Okay. So essentially you get maybe a cold. Right. right. But if your immune okay. system's stressed out and it's all this chronic inflammation and it thinks that you know there's an issue in the gut and there's an issue in the joints and you know it's all over the place, right? It yeah. can't focus, and so what happens is that virus escapes because no. it takes longer for your immune system to contain it, that and so it sense. escapes and gets all around the body, and then right you have much you have other much worse outcome. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so that makes okay. Wow. That that gave me. So when you see all these a, things, like boost your immune system, take care of your immune yes, immune C. system. Not so much. Yes, yeah. But you want a, you. What you want is a balanced immune system, right? mm-hmm. yeah, so that can focus the on what it needs. And do. these are so many natural
1: ways, like they're saying to do it. Those top three mm-hmm. things: exercise, nutrition, and sleep.
2: Yeah, I wish there was a you know, I wish there was a pill you know, or a supplement. I take know. This, yeah. Do that. But really. Mm-hmm. Nothing takes the place of the things that we've talked about. Yeah, you know, lifestyle. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, lifestyle exactly. Yep. Yeah,
0: I mean, when yeah. I started eating healthier and cleaner, I the inflammation completely went away. In terms of like mm-hmm. the treatment, um the chemo and radiation side effects like completely mm-hmm. disappeared. So it's just yeah. it made a huge difference. It's really the only thing that worked, and. It's just, yeah, it's so interesting. And I love hearing the science behind it all. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, pleasure. Toby. <laughs> You're very You've welcome. A- thank you so much for having me. Of awesome course. You Absolutely. Absolutely. You were
0: able to join us. Um, Okay. And so I wanted to give you the chance to talk about a little bit like who you teach, how people can find you, any information around
2: that. Yeah. Absolutely. So I teach to the general public through the Stanford Continuing Studies Program. Um, I teach three times a year, typically, and I teach a gut health course. I teach inflammation and disease, and I also teach an immune health basics course. Um, they are five-week online courses, and you can take them individually, or you can take them sort of sequentially as sort of one comprehensive course. And of course, again, that's open to the public. You can find that on the Stanford Continuing Studies Program course. And if you're interested, if you're a health coach or you're a health and wellness professional, I also teach specific courses um, for the professionals, as well as what I call the health-motivated individuals that want sort of this science background. Mm-hmm. And you can find those courses on my website at drtobieschmidt.com. Okay, amazing. amazing.
3: Perfect,
0: and I'll put all this information in the um, episode description as well, so that people can-
2: Perfect, thank you.
0: Well, it was so great awesome. talking to
1: you.
2: Thank, thank you again. You. Toby, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course, we'll
0: of talk course. To you soon.
2: Talk to you soon. All right, bye.
0: Bye.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks, the podcast that tells the truth about what people with cancer actually go through. Each week, myself Paige Gill and my co-host Madison Pollock sit down with fellow cancer survivors to tell our stories.
0: Keep up to date with our guests and new episodes on our Facebook and Instagram pages, Cancer Actually Sucks Podcast, and tune in every Monday to hear our stories.